What's up? This is Goucher Lustwork. And I'm Lisa Blanning. And you're listening to Real Life Rave Confessions, a podcast about electronic music, the industry that drives it, the people that participate in it, and the gossip that provokes it. Today, we welcome He Valencia, a.k.a. Aloysia Wilmoth, the Indiana-based artist, DJ, and producer working at the intersection of techno and experimental electronic music to explore themes of diaspora and Afrofuturism. Hashtag Black Techno Twitter. So, Aloizo, welcome to Real Life Rave Confessions. You have the distinct honor of being our inaugural guest of our inaugural edition. Wow, thank you for reaching out. It's kind of kind of honored seeing the whole little email and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I for for anybody who doesn't know, your your working name is He Valencia and you as our self-described artist, DJ and producer. But I have to admit that most of us probably know of you as an internet personality. Yeah. So I guess like outside of um, techno and whatnot, like my whole approach is just like kind of, I guess I always say it's kind of like cultural criticism, my approach towards techno and whatnot. So and in my main mediums, it's just kind of like critiquing things. Um, through social media and whatnot. I guess, essentially, I would say I'm loud. I'm a pretty loud person. <laughs> but also one with a sense of humor, which is definitely something that uh, we're attracted to anyway. Yeah, like, definitely. I, I just feel like, especially like contemporary electronic music, like nobody, like everybody is so dead. So I'm just like, yo, like, can y'all chill out you know and it sucks because like people kind of internalize like the different jokes and whatnot it has like an attack on them <laughs> I no, it's funny like um how the reason i found out about you was because i'm not really on social media all that much and for a long time i was like really boycotting it a lot yeah and, i could te- i could tell you kind of low-key yeah, I was kind of keeping it low key for a while, but it's 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 interesting to see, you know. I think from from a certain standpoint, like an artist can get away with being like anonymous um, and kind of create like a buzz, but in in a way, you've you've been able to do that on your own without like you know you've been able to generate your own buzz. Because I'm just checking Twitter like once a week, maybe. And every single time I log in, it's like the automated you know, <laughs> like uh, algorithm shows up, and one of your tweets shows up, and it's like it's like funny or relevant or like controversial. It's like often like combination of all of them. Um, it's interesting. Like, I mean, I'm curious about what uh, where you started with using the internet or like social media in general. Like, what's your history with the internet itself? So, I mean, at first, I actually started with, like, um, blogging platforms. Um, we just, like, kind of blog on there and just post thoughts and whatever. And then I mostly started just to kind of keep up with, like, a lot of my peers within electronic music, specifically, like, a lot of guys from um, Detroit and whatnot. Um, one major thing that actually kind of, I guess, influenced my approach in terms of just having like this whole discourse was actually being friends with DJ Stingray. So he's been like my mentor since I was like 16 years old. Oh, and, like, cool. his, 
Yeah, so his approach to music has always been kind of like more um, critical or I'm trying to think, like kind of having like this this discourse almost and then putting those concepts into his music. So like that whole approach definitely has kind of like subconsciously, I guess, influenced like creating this kind of discourse. I, I always make this joke that I'm like the king of discourse i love the discourse like i live within it and like bask within it <laughs> okay so two so two questions first one more historical um how old are you now because you said you met stingray when you were 16 yeah so i'm 27 years old now and i've been <clears throat> kind of like interacting with dance music since i was like maybe i want to say like 14 or so because i would just always go up to detroit to the main big festival and just kind of see all the guys from there so i guess it's been a big a long minute so that's you were traveling up there from indiana yeah so i'm in between chicago and detroit so i'm about three hours from detroit and about i want to say 80 to 90 minutes from chicago so you kind of get like that intersection of midwest sounds and influences that whole like um rave culture that existed in the 90s that's very interesting so uh where in indiana is it south bend i'm in the north okay west tip. but i mean because only because i just i just i don't know of hardly anybody else from that area obviously jay lynn is famously from gary and uh, um and you know obviously the jackson five were from gary but uh south bend i can't can't name a single other artist from from around that around that way yeah, I'm pretty much, I would say I'm the only person I know outside of like a lot of like older veterans who participate in like Chicago house scene or whatever, who actually lives here. It's pretty quiet. So you were, that does that mean that you were, even even though technically that stuff is more or less local, it's really, you know, like Detroit techno and Chicago house, really not that far away from you, but were you accessing it at first via the internet or how were you, how, how did you find out about it in South Bend, Indiana? Yeah, I was accessing stuff via the internet. Um, I got into electronic music from just like playing video games and stuff yes. and all that. <laughs> yeah, playing like fighting games and Street Fighter 3 soundtrack, you know, like jungle music and all that, Midnight Club, and then you just kind of go down that rabbit hole. That's fascinating. So you, how did you meet Stingray when you were 16? Uh, you were in Detroit, presumably. Yeah, we started exchanging um, messages on Facebook at the time um, because I was um, interested in like the whole Urban Tribe group. Mm-hmm. And then I had, during that time, I was doing like a lot of graphic design. So I ended up actually designing some stuff for um, an Urban Tribe LP. And then from that, it just kind of came like this kind of natural relationship, just exchanging thoughts and I guess more critique towards different things, whether it be like science, politics and whatnot. Do you think that him engaging with you as a, as a, a young creative slash burgeoning uh, musician Effect also affected this political consciousness where you wanted to, where you you actually wanted critique to be a factor in your work, or was did that come before? Stingray? You know what? I think it actually came before because my whole introduction to this stuff specifically was like finding out the roots within having like the whole radical roots, like grassroots, and so like that whole kind of like more militant. 
mm-hmm. or brash approach really kind of pulled me in. And then another layer on top of that, when I actually saw that these guys, oh, like they look like me, these like African-American men, I was like, wow, it's kind of next level. I think I've always kind of been more um, politically sound. It mostly just comes from growing up in a black church, like being involved like organizing within the community and whatnot so that kind of consciousness has always been there and i guess now it's all starting to come together and towards how i approach my art form can you be more specific about how you incorporate these ideas in in what you do because i think with stingray it's it's quite obvious even though he's making largely instrumental music the the the, the clues are really there in the titles and then of course some of the tracks have got um, vocals. I'm thinking especially of the collaboration he did with Gerald Donald, the uh, NRSB 11, where that, mm-hmm. that which the record is literally called Commodified, and the whole record is is sort of a, a capitalist critique. Clearly, yeah. from, the, from the titles, the, the the track titles, that becomes very obvious. And and a couple of the tracks have got vocals. Uh, well, they've got some modified vocals. So how how do you how do you approach incorporating this idea? Of, of critical of of critique of of some, of some sort of social critique into either DJ sets or productions. Um, one specific way that I do it, especially with DJing. So I guess like my main um, influence in terms of politics has something that I kind of like stick on is like having a more internationalist or like global approach. So mm-hmm. I kind of take that. Um, kind of global consciousness of like being connected with different people on the internet and I actually put that inside of my DJ sets in terms of just trying to like connect different styles or figuring out um, how like say for example like um, something from like a record from 1995 like how a specific sound from that would relate to something you would hear from from a crew like Janice Berlin like something very deconstructed Mm -hmm. because I feel like more of the, my my main beef with like a lot of contemporary dance music is everything is so kind of um what's the word I'm thinking of like they're, they're it's so formulaic and campy that people often relinquish the fact that like everything is, has influenced each other in some kind of way so I think when you kind of like sit and read and study and figure out how to connect these dots. They're all connected more than it is kind of separate. And that's pretty much like my main beef, like contemporary dance music. It's just like, it's it's so separatist at times because of how everything has gotten kind of like formulaic, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Gaucher, what do you think about that? About what, uh, things being formulaic? That and I also mean, about things being, and, and how um, m- the music is all ultimately much more com- connected than we might think. Yeah, I mean, for sure, like, if if we just talk about the influences of techno in the Midwest and whatnot, it wouldn't be without, you know, the radio influence and kind of the new wave influence that was coming over. Um, yeah, exactly. But, like, I was, I was kind of more interested in what you mentioned about, like, kind of your fascination with, with seeing... Uh, you are or Stingray and, and seeing, like, other black people being involved in something. Um, like that resonates with me so much because for me, also growing up in the Midwest in Cleveland, um, yeah. you know, I was seeing like I wasn't really seeing underground resistance necessarily, but I was seeing like I was going to like Borders Books and seeing like you know uh, Ronnie Size or like Goldie or 
a lot of drum and bass people. You know what I mean? Wow, I actually started in the um with jungle and drum and bass. That was like kind of yeah. the rabbit hole. Yeah, and then later on, I got more into like four to the floor dance music. Yeah, I started. I also started like the whole UK thing with like Goldie, um, LTJ Bookham. Yeah, whatnot. exactly. Yeah, I saw like a light skinned dude with glasses, and I was like, "Yo, that's me. That's like yeah, exactly." He's an adult. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, definitely. Because like rap, rap in and of itself kind of wasn't really hitting for me as much. You know, I don't know if like the lyrics kind of. Uh, you know, I didn't really connect to the lyrics right away or the mm-hmm. energy of it, but like, yeah, drum and bass was kind of my introduction to it. And yeah, the fact that it's like, you know, that's from the UK, but I'm still listening to it and kind of relating to it in the Midwest. So, you know, there's like always kind of a vibe like that people, you know, vibe with across the world with music. Definitely. Well, both of you are from the Midwest, and and Eliza, you've you've you you definitely seem to project a, a Midwestern pride, um, especially given the roots of techno and house music. And as a DJ and an artist, that's really clear to see why, given the historical the historical facts of of these musics. But what about as a raver or as a member of audience in, in a club? What's what's that like in the Midwest of America these days? Well, or or you know, even when you first started going out. Wow. Okay. So um, when I first started going out, it was because I wasn't I wasn't old enough at the time, so I was just going to um, most of my consumption was just like going to the festival in Detroit, and then occasionally a few after parties that would let people underage come in. So just getting this whole it's almost like kind of overwhelming. Like you're getting like a million different artists playing at the same time. You have like a guy from UK playing at one stage, guy from Detroit, just taking all of in at the same time. And then I would just kind of like go home and do some research and then kind of fast forward. Now, um, I would say within the past, maybe four to five years, Midwest scene, it's, it's been coming out of the ashes. Cause for a while, it's just a bit dead or people kind of paying too much attention to specific clubs that would spend so much money bringing in like overseas talent. And it was kind of like hurting the local scene. But like now you got a lot of like smaller parties who are doing their own thing. Um, a specific party I can actually bring up. Um, they're from Ohio. It's called In Training. They're doing some pretty yeah. cool stuff. Yeah. You got like the That's build sick. crew. And then you got people in Chicago doing like a lot of um, loft parties and whatnot. So I think that the energy there is pretty good because I remember for like four or five years ago, it was feeling kind of lonely, you know. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, just like all these people just came out of nowhere and just started putting stuff together. Would would that maybe be related to the the sort of global rise of techno in general? Oh, yeah. How, how popular yeah. it became globally? Um, probably I'd say it peaked a couple of years ago, but definitely, definitely it, uh, in Europe, clearly techno has been very popular for a very long time, but you really started to get the sense that, um, it was becoming a, a something, something that people were responding to all over the world, um, maybe about five or six years ago. Definitely. I, I think a large part of that has to do with the internet. Mm-hmm. like Definitely. social media 
Yeah, you would see like the um, I can remember in around I want to say maybe 2013, 2014, like with you'd see like a lot of more bassier like um, people from the UK kind of making that shift into more, I guess like four to the floor dancing music. It's so weird how everything kind of circles around each other and then people kind of like discover the roots of things again and mm-hmm. you get like all these different like permeations or muta- mutations and then of course you get the people who are like to hell with it and they'll like completely just reject it and they start getting like the very like interesting like avant-garde like left field clubbier stuff yeah i um but what are what are the what are the parties like in in the midwest are what's the what what's the racial makeup of the crowd or the or the breakdown and i'm assuming it's mostly young people or is there is there a good spread of ages is it uh is it or is it very is it very heterosexual is there a, a good queer element happening or i know in specifically in chicago um even though it's like one of the most racially segregated cities in North America, there's there's a pretty I would say it's pretty pretty diverse scene. There's like a pretty big queer scene there. Um, people throw like um, kind of like smaller parties where you get like this intersection of like noise kids, the queer kids, like the punk kids mm-hmm. throwing shows, and they would like people would like put like a noise person on the bill alongside a a, a veteran deep house guy. I would say it's a pretty good mixture outside of the main clubs there. I mean, obviously, like, there's still, like, some things that people are battling against because of that. Um, One of the main reasons why people started organizing more smaller parties in Chicago, because they wanted to kind of get away from this whole, I guess, like, dominant white um, thing that was kind of coming out of the clubs where you get, like, this gig trading economy and, like, a a lot of talent was actually just kind of getting locked out. So people would just have to kind of build against that wave of things yeah and i mean but you you would hear you would hear stories for years and years and years about how especially with the legacy detroit artists they would be playing amazing big gigs in europe but then they'd come home and not play at all except maybe that movement or something yeah and it's still very much i would say it's still very much like that with the exception of like one or two parties it's so weird. I think the the problem with that too is I, I think far too many American promoters, they spend too much time trying to emulate Berlin or like the whole European aesthetic. When in reality, like a lot of people in Europe, they actually really adore what Americans do and like respect what we do. Yeah, we kind of buy into this whole formula of trying to emulate, you know, like Berlin techno aesthetics. You have to have like industrial leather aesthetic, big room, dark techno. It's just like, yo, like, can y'all chill? Like, just come with the <laughs> swag. Like, let Berlin be Berlin. And like, we could come with our own swag. Like, you don't have to like spend every living moment trying to emulate that. And it's pretty much my main beef right now that's kind of going on. It's just very narrow-minded. I would... Uh... Sorry, go ahead, Gouch. Um, yeah, is um, I mean, like, what do you see uh, happening in? I mean, what do you see that needs to happen for things to kind of, I don't know, for like Detroit or the Midwest in general to kind of form its own aesthetic again and kind of represent itself and like pick itself up again? Do you think there needs to be some kind of like 
aesthetic change or like a, a musical style or is it more like on this activist type like social media like maybe just making everybody aware i think there needs to be more um actual real life collectives working towards what they're saying because something that i'm seeing that's going on right now is just like i think this kind of um this is probably like the effect of like neoliberalism neoliberalism and stuff being co-opted by like corporate culture is like a lot of people will employ like a lot of um inclusive catchwords and things and whatnot like that mm-hmm. to try to sell a party but then in reality it's just like we could spend like two or three years um creating like proverbial safe spaces and things like that but it's just like at the end of the day like who the hell is coming off up top but still very much like mobilized very much like white people coming off up top it's just like okay at a certain point it's just like what exactly are we doing you know it's just like we have the language employed and the parties but it's just like the rest of marginalized people are still kind of getting left behind you know it's weird it's almost as if like people is um pushing themselves in the space to by using these this kind of language to in order to avoid critique and still position themselves up at the top. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree that uh, we've reached the point now where people are paying lip service to a lot of these ideas without without necessarily taking them to heart. Oh my um, gosh, it's hitting critical mass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I and I, I on, you know on on one hand, um, I I feel like that's a good thing. Because I'd rather that than the outright racism that or sexism that we had before, or homophobia. But you know, but then on the other hand, I would I would love it, love things, love all this talk about equity to to actually manifest more, more concretely, more palpably. Um, but. It's where I, I my hope is that we're on the way. Um, I, I think for the two of you who still live in America, um, where it's the, the problems are uh, while while we have very similar sorts of problems, they manifest somewhat differently, especially as you're both black men, so, which historically in uh, the U.S. is, you know, I'd go so far as to say, you know, one of the most oppressed demographics. Uh, so I think it's probably a little different, perhaps, because you are, you're also both at, in a party scenario. More likely than not, you're both the DJ. Yeah. Which is going to be a bit different than if you're a punter. But... Um, it, but I, I, but do you, have you, has your experience in a party scenario changed? especially over these past few years when this has been such a big part of the conversation? Yeah. Um, I would say, yeah, slowly but surely. Um, a pretty good example is just like, um, I guess when, whenever I would play some space, it's just people kind of approaching me and being like, Hey, like, thank you for kind of like furthering this kind of discourse or like creating more of like um, a critical thought and then I've had people like send me emails telling me that it's it's actually helped them kind of change their approach rather than I guess like I want to say I'm I'm thinking in this way of like how 
one person's um in the terms of like how like making them realize that like one person's prosperity is another person's entropy so and like i guess kind of like forcing them to think more critically and like how to approach things and not just being f- just fully aesthetic and i'm just i guess generally how to employ these kind of practices well, do you mean that from um, a musical experience that you might give somebody at a party or via your online discourse? I would definitely say discourse. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's maybe a, a, a little bit different, but that's, that's definitely worth something. It's funny, like hearing, hearing uh, that, I feel that's like super important uh, to have going on. And then, but also like on a personal standpoint for me i'm like the act of me making music is like as political as i can sort of stand in a way you know what i mean like like just like thinking about it is like intense uh and talking about it is like another skill in and of itself so it's like it's tight to see it like articulated and shit you know what i mean exactly because like my whole thing is like people they will be just like let the music talk and I'm like, I mean, that's cool. But at the end of the day, I'm just like, we're artists. Like, we're supposed to be kind of, it, it kind of reminds me of like, during like the whole Enlightenment era, when not only were people were making art, but they were actively like having like this dialogue and discourse. So like, to me, my approach, I'm like, we've gotten so comfortable of just like making records and just putting it out there. It's just like, why can't we kind of have like, a, um, you know, just like... Yeah just come together and like talk about different things and like build these ideas because I feel like people just internalize it way too much and as an internalized critique as an attack on them it's just like no I'm not attacking (laughs) you I'm merely just asking you to like look in a mirror so we can like better the art form and keep it moving forward you know and I feel like that's been largely missing in my experience um just being within the scene Mm mm-hmm what yeah, do- I mean, we got a bunch. We're dealing with a bunch of nerds, you know. It's techno. <laughs> yeah, see, and that can't that can't really articulate stuff sometimes. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's like like high school cafeteria politics. I always make this joke that like a lot of people in our scene probably got like bullied or something, and so what they do, they never got over it, and they just kind of like take it into the music and just use that to kind of like employ like this teenage tribalism syndrome (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i've definitely taken i've definitely like read a tweet and taken it personally felt (laughs) not not necessarily not yours but like uh, you know any tweet you're just like sometimes it just hits you're just like ooh. oh definitely yeah gotta log (laughs) off and chill but uh but um yeah it's it's um it's interesting like thinking about like or I guess this may be a different conversation unrelated to this, but um, yeah, I think I might swing back around on it. Okay, well, I'm curious okay. about your take on it. Well, uh, Eloisa, I have a I have a question. Why don't you have any of your actual productions on your SoundCloud? Good question. So I did have some stuff, and I took it off. So I'm actually working on um, records right now because like I don't want to really put anything out there that I feel like's not really dope so yeah i'm working on stuff i would be i'm actually going to be premiering it soon um yeah i just don't want to like rush and 
like kind of put something out there that I would regret. I guess it comes mm-hmm. from just artists artists having like that whole kind of being shy in that aspect, you know? No, no, no. I think that uh, it's actually a very good idea for artists to only put up their best stuff and not put. I, I think it's a bad idea for artists who put up everything that they make, um, and that and that you should be choosy about what you make public. But the yeah. re- the reason I ask is is because um, I I it, to me it really does seem as though you you've made your name via the online discourse and yeah exactly. <laughs> well, how do you feel about that? I'm actually enamored by that idea of like being able to. Um, I guess create my own platform without necessarily playing the game. So I'm very much like into this whole thing of like people, they're always like arguing about like clout and whatnot. And people would say, they were like, it's not about clout. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, yes, it is. Like we're on like social media. Like this, we're not living in like 1995 where you just have to have records out. It's just like, we have so many tools at our disposal, whether it be like Twitter Instagram, whatever, like Patreon, like, you know, you can like build your own platform without necessarily playing this game that people say you have to do. And like people say that you have to do it this way. You have to release a record, do a mix on this platform, boom, boom, boom. And you would get to play perhaps Bergheim or whatever. It's just like, no, that's not necessarily promise. You know, I think there's so many other approaches where you you can go through one door, you can completely go around it, just kind of like, creating this whole persona or personality that kind of um, supplements or complements your art form. Well, I, I actually think that's a ref- refreshing point of view because I, I hear a lot of people, especially anybody who maybe is a bit older than you, who would who kind of misses that traditional way of releasing and promoting and it's nice to hear somebody say that the, the that this disruption to the music industry is something that's positive. Although I yeah. mean, you, you know, but you were never in the position before where you were releasing records and able to make a living off of it. And I, I'm sure that those people aren't very happy about the new music industry economy. Definitely, yeah. So I actually get into. Um, arguments of a lot of older guys about this very thing um i guess some people they can't seem to maybe evolve or kind of like mold to what's happening now which i get because you know with like the internet culture everything is like moving at light speed Mm -hmm. and then too you have that that whole idea of like which I actually actually don't believe in i think it doesn't even exist anymore like this whole idea of the underground Mm-hmm. So with the internet, what is the other underground? Like what constitutes the underground? What defines the underground? It's such a gray space right now. A pretty good yeah. example is like how you can have like Gaucher. He could make something. And then the next morning, Kanye West or whatever could like email you be like, yo, I want you to like put some samples like on a new Yeezy album. It's just like, what is actually underground? How you can have like somebody like Arca or whatever be remixing you know like these pop stars and whatnot it everything is so gray right now if it's got an instagram it's not underground because instagram is the mainstream it's like that feed is the mainstream like twitter maybe less so but instagram for me like if it's got an instagram it's not really 
the underground thing. I, I feel like some artists really try and like be super underground and not have any social media, but it's really it's kind of just counterintuitive. Um, yeah, it's so hard these maybe days. Maybe in the past two years, like I've tried, I tried it for like up until maybe like two years ago, because I was just not <laughs> not getting gigs, <laughs> not making money, none. So like uh, definitely, yeah, but um. Yeah, what? I agree with you about that no underground thing. Yeah. Okay, well, if there's if if we take it that there's no underground, where does that leave us now? What do you what is it what are what are you, what are you trying to do then if there's if there's no underground? I think now in my opinion it's really all about like creating your own platform whether it be like um a website or just having your own like net label or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Just because I, I just feel like now people, like, you, you can't, it just can't just be the music now. Like, you got to have, like, something else to reel people in, whether it be, like, something on an aesthetic level, with graphic design or whatever. <clears throat> like, the game has changed so much. I think it's all, I think right now, actually, it's pretty, the, the playing field is pretty level, especially when you see, like, platforms like Red Bull um, music academy is like going away i know a lot of people they would see that as something as being bad which i get in some sense because they're very good at like archiving things but at the same time it's just like yo the playing field is equal now it's like it's open season like this is mad max like yo we in the middle of the desert there's oil barons like we fighting <laughs> for oil everybody got a car you know it's just like this is the apocalypse now like that but that is that bleak it it is bleak, but it's the reality I've kind of like accepted in a sense of always kind of being an outsider and not being accepted within like the um, the status quo, perhaps you know. Mm-hmm. Well, what is? Yeah, that's interesting. Like the outsider perspective, because I feel like being black and being in techno exactly is just automatic. You're just automatically like. Or maybe it's, I don't know if it's like a cause or effect or like, you know, if it's a correlation or causation, but it just kind of like goes hand in hand and, and it's, and you're, you're sort of always against the grain coming up, um, on something. Which is ironic given the, the, uh, origins of techno and house music. Exactly. Uh, but okay. So one thing I want to go back to about this whole thing of this Mad Max imagery is, uh, does that somehow rub up against this idea that this this the classic idea of of collective collective experience on the dance floor of of you know of of some sort of community communal experience yeah so yeah precisely um it it goes with like the, the whole communal experience like when i would see it reminds me of like I was seeing people talk about like oh the state of um in specific like North American scene or whatever is so good, but I don't know, I was looking at it I'm just like well in what context when I'm just like I'm only seeing like mostly like these white collectives who already kind of like dominate the narrative saying it's just like okay like what about the rest of us you know like we still trying to figure out some kind of way to be included within a um, within the equation that's a very fair answer actually it, it th- that you're basically saying uh the communal exp- experience never included you in the first place 
Exactly. And so with that never being included in the first place, I guess my main approach is like, I don't really have nothing to lose anyway. You know, it's just like, why should I have to fight to get within these spaces when I could just kind of like do my own thing? And then maybe five or six years down the line, people will finally catch up. Yeah. So one of the one of the things you sent us was um, a podcast that you did with Trash Future, where you you guys did some pretty hardcore analysis and um, uh, talking about the history of techno, et cetera. And it's it's clear to me that you're an, an expert in in um, the the history and that you're also quite well versed in uh, where things are moving now and the different tendrils that they're that they're touching. Um, and it sounded as though you're you're quite taken with the this the sort of original the the original lofty ideals of techno as um, this music of futurity, basically the music that was concerned with the idea of futurity about the future. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Okay. Well, techno is now more than thirty years old. Do you still think it's music that's concerned with the future? Absolutely. No, this well, <laughs> especially with like, yeah, definitely. I I think about this like every other day, um, especially with like um, contemporary techno culture. Like now, people are more obsessed with buying into the formula rather than trying to push the forefront. A pretty prime example is just like the fact that people kind of have this title or make fun of, um, I guess, more experimental club music. For example, they call it deconstructed club. The fact that I see like a lot of techno people um, kind of reject that. I'm just like, what is going on? I'm like, this stuff, I'm, I guess to me, I'm hearing quote unquote techno that, that sounds more futuristic, that doesn't even exist within this bubble of like the formula. It's quite interesting. A pretty good example is like um, collectives in Berlin, like Janice mm-hmm. and like to me, that is like the most futuristic stuff I ever heard. Or like, um, people like, is it? I can't pronounce his name. Is it Su- Susing? Oh, yeah, um, Susing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, like people they're kind of like actively going against the grain. Yeah, I think stuff like that is real important. People need to be paying attention to that because it kind of has the same energy um, that you would get when like a lot of early underground resistance albums when they would have like just straight up sketches of talking about like planets and stuff and i'm like this stuff doesn't even sound like dance floor music but it's futuristic and it works on the dance floor you know so do you still align yourself with techno given that yeah i have a pretty uneasy relationship with techno i still claim it but not in i guess in in the terms of what the dominant it's, narrative would be <laughs> it's turned into like some weird loaded uh kind of subject at the moment like i'm noticing right now there's a lot of these accounts that kind of aggregate clips of festival djs and they're yeah. often called stuff like you know they're called like um like I don't know some generic like i love techno or techno or like instagram or something like instagram. that yeah It'll be yeah. like just the same clips over and over again, and they like aggregate it and find some way to bait people into watching it, and it's turned into kind of like a style of clip, like almost a whole style of like um, media account that's Isn't like that sort weird? of it's sort of taken over techno. Like you're not 
you're not seeing videos. You might see like the occasional like Carl Cox video or something, but he's I mean he's British, but like you're not gonna see a Juan Atkins or a Carl Craig video. It'll just be like a Nina Kravis or Solomon or you yeah. know one of these European DJs. It's almost like the algorithm is dictating um, people's taste, almost like force feeding it to you. Yeah. Yeah, and if that's, kinda, if that's true, then how can it even be everyone out for themselves when the algorithm is working against you? Wow, that's a good question. Ah, I guess in a way, it kind of, I guess my approach would be trying to like subvert that algorithm or like constantly poking at the system and like forcing people to look themselves in the mirror. I guess that's where my kind of approach would come into play. Just being like this kind of like necessary evil. Well, I mean, <laughs> one, one thing is people um, are advocating against the platforms. The major platforms being like YouTube and Facebook and, you know, you, you know, you could even consider Instagram to be its own platform. And uh, because if, if the, these are these are platforms where the, where the algorithm dictates so much. So if you're able to find a different place to exist online that isn't beholden to some platform, then maybe you have a chance. Right. Because at the that moment, at, at the moment, the algorithms just amplify anyone who's already getting exposure. The more it just, it's it just it. The more clicks or likes something gets, then the more it will be amplified. Uh, I think though it's gonna have to like reach a point where everyone's seeing it there too. You know, like um, like this mainstream idea. It's like never gonna get as many eyeballs as like the latest um you know ariana grande or whatever definitely mm. it, and then yeah. speaking of like the algorithm it kind of reminds me um it co comes around to the argument of like should artists use these to to their advantage of course we, you probably saw like the whole discourse of like um peggy goo with like the nike ads and like should artists align themselves with different brands mm -hmm. to kind of like push this thing you know and whatnot because like for me i don't really see anything inherently bad it's just like i mean this is like 2019 it's just like yo you gotta like bring more to the table like you have you literally have to like trick people to engage <laughs> your stuff in some kind of way you know <laughs> well there's that but the other argument of course is that um artists don't sell records anymore so how exactly. else are they supposed to pay the bills how else are they supposed exactly. to pay the rent so and if a brand brands now are way more interested about hooking up with artists for that artist's vision and i think more i think they're less interested in trying to subvert the artist's um, trying to yoke the artist's creativity to their their own standards or whatever. It's I, I could be wrong, but uh, especially with brands like Red Bull Music Academy, for instance, uh, they it's people have said over and over and over again that the, that artists have said over and over and over again that they didn't have to alter what they wanted to do creatively, create, creatively in order to get that money. 
Yeah. So, and I imagine that that's more the case these days than it would have been perhaps 20 years ago. Definitely. So the, that, that where, so 20 years ago, selling out literally meant that you had to change what it was that you did in order to receive those funds. But these days, that's not necessarily the case. So that really, that, that does change the definition of what selling out is. And also the definition of underground. It's just like, what is it? You know, it's so gray. It's true. Well, what is and what's And it's like a deserved thing. Like people that get upset feel that those that get it don't deserve it. But there's the famous quote, like Clint Eastwood quote, deserve, deserves don't have nothing to do with it. It's just like kind of just like facts, the way things kind of stack up, or at least at the moment. Yeah, it's a a, um, there's a there's there's a lot of things, different ways to look at it. And um, there's a lot of roads we didn't go down today, which perhaps should should be left unexplored. Otherwise, we'll probably start talking shit about people. But, um, <laughs> oh, wait, I wanted to like chime in about social media tips and like hacking algorithms and stuff. One thing that helped like immensely and it wasn't creepy at all was I just, I mean, maybe this is just a step up for me because I'm working on like self promotion and stuff, but like just asking, please, I said, please like download this or please share this. And I got like way more downloads on that particular thing. What? So just asking, please, really helped. Yeah, oh I don't know. Oh, my goodness. So yeah. just being polite. Yeah, I, guess, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe every once in a while you can be polite, yeah. That's very interesting. Well, Alojo, the name of this podcast is Real Life Rave Confessions. Have you got a real-life rave confession that you want to share with us? Has there, has yeah. There, oh, please, please tell us. I have a pretty crazy one. Um, So... When I went to Berlin for the first time last year, I went to I was in Bergheim and I actually saw somebody that stole some money from me and was like lying about me and like was starting like weird beefs. And so I was walking around the garden and like they saw me and they were like surrounded by like these scantily clad people and like leather getups. And so like every time I would like kind of walk past them, they would like. It was like almost like cat and mouse. They're like actively avoiding me inside of Bergheim. I guess they never thought that I would see them in a whole other country. And like, I, I guess like reality kind of like hit them fast. I never said anything to them. I just kind of like looked at them. It's just kind of funny having like that whole interaction, like beefing with somebody. And then like you seeing them like out here like in the club, like, yo, like you owe me some money. Like you stole some money from me. Like you was talking crazy online. And like, now nah, I'm seeing you like, so. <laughs> and that so, club is like the trippiest club of them all. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, so already like, it's already cinematic, <laughs> like hella cinematic. Just to, just to uh, um, further paint this scene. And while what happens in Bergheim stays in, in Bergheim, were you fucked up at the time? <laughs> what happens in there stays in there <laughs> i was just what, wondering what was like how surreal in, uh, it was <laughs> yeah what was it like being just in in europe were you did you play out there or were you just visiting or say um, first I was, time out there? i i did some radio stuff it was my first time there it was it felt like a load off of my shoulders i never felt like so 
relaxed in my life. It was a bit weird. It took me a few days to kind of like adjust to that whole social um, nature of things. I never, I didn't feel like I had to like constantly like look over my shoulder or be like paranoid or whatever. So like that whole approach was pretty trippy. Wait, wait, wait. Feel well, like uh, a jazz artist in Paris in like the 1940s. You know what I mean? Just like exactly. Is, is, is that a is that a racial thing? That's what I was gonna ask. Yeah. Definitely, a hundred percent. Wow. So, um, can I? Uh, so, in South Bend, do you live in a black community? Um. So I live in like it's a pretty mixed community. It's more like working class, mm-hmm. um, white people. The black community here is like twenty five percent. So Midwest the area I'm in specifically is very, very red. Very like people vote red here. Um, yeah. Very, very white. Very like outward in your face racism. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's funny because, you know, Germany's quite, quite well known for being racist, but, uh, it's kind of not though in a, in a way you can ignore or well, something. Berlin, yeah. Berlin is obviously not like other places uh, in the country, but, um, you know, even certain sections of Berlin will be quite racist. But if you're if you're orbiting amongst, uh, the, the, the club communities, then yes, I could, I could imagine that it, it's, a lot a lot more comfortable but uh yeah and then too you have to look at the levels of like um class and Mm -hmm. just being an american because like obviously one thing that i noticed people treated me differently from being an african-american versus like an african immigrant or whatever like them like people would treat me weird and as soon as i I would open my mouth and they would hear my accent. They'd be like, oh, he's American, whatever. So you have to look at that, whether it be like fetishism or just like this kind of um, idea of American, I guess like American privilege, perhaps, you know? Yeah, It kind of goes sure. back to what Archer was saying about like jazz artists being within Europe and people kind of having like that appreciation for the art form. So people would kind of approach you more, I don't know, just more normally really isn't you know i do think that there's also a level of fetish fetishization happening too um here i mean in berlin but uh um or well i mean in germany but 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 some but not i'm not saying that's happened specifically to you but i do think that that happens especially in the arts world in the creative communities yeah for like being a black dj in germany like or not germany specifically but just in europe i have to like realize that I'm kind of representing and performing for like a like uh, you know I'm you know I'm like representing my people from home so exactly I have to like not while I don't want to like uh, be just like yeah I have to like kind of balance between being like a stere- an American stereotype and just like being myself <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You kind of have to dial it up a little bit sometimes and then tone it down. Yeah, yeah it's like living a double life in some sense. Yeah, uh, well, you know, it's it's fair enough. It's uh it's interesting. It's very interesting to get your perspective though as somebody who is interested in a a scene and music that does much better economically uh, and uh in, in terms of the greater respect of, of the outside world here in Europe than it does where you are to get the perspective mm-hmm. of where you are. So um, it's 
been uh, been enlightening speaking with you. So thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate I appreciate you taking the time to to, uh, to to talk to us. Yeah. Thank you. Man. I'm honored. Yeah. Do you have any like Do you have anything any like questions you want to ask us? Just considering because we got like a award winning journalist right here. <laughs> I don't know about award winning booking but... agent. <laughs> and I don't know. I feel like I haven't talked with you personally, but um. But I mean, you seem like I know, like Quinn's hung out with you and stuff. So yeah, yeah, definitely. He speaks Quinn's highly of you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love Quinn. Um, shouts out to Quinn, that whole New York crew. Uh, Quinn, Magda, um, Sybil. Um, shout out to Sherard. I mean, I guess the a question I have is like, how much this kind of this may be kind of a broad question, but something I'm kind of getting more interested in is like critical theory and whatnot um specifically for lisa how much of that do you actually employ with your approach to things and whatnot because i wish i could have like elaborated more on that because it's it's something that's very interesting to me right now that i'm just kind of like diving into and it's making me actually making me more creative just like reading all this dense text and whatnot it's okay that's well, for me as a music journalist, it really depends on the artist I'm speaking to at the time or thinking about or whatever. I think that in general, my worldview it colors that way anyway. But mm-hmm. sometimes the person that you're speaking to doesn't necessarily want to talk about those sorts of things or doesn't think about those sorts of things. So then yeah. it, it becomes less relevant to the conversation. But um I am definitely, I am, anyone who knows me knows this already, but I'll flat out say it now. Like, um, a lot of my thinking is informed by the work of Mark Fisher. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Who ah. is, who was, who was hmm. also known as K-Punk. And he yeah. wrote, um, he is somebody that I knew personally and I was friends with and, uh, but also his work has been very important to, to, my awakenings, so to speak, not in terms of, not in terms of social justice or that kind Mm -hmm. of awareness, but definitely in Mm -hmm. terms of, I'm a Marxist now, basically because of him, because of my association with him. And so the way that I think about class, class consciousness and, uh, about how living under capitalism affects pretty much everything for us Mm -hmm. Um, and then that, you know, that, so that extends also into thinking on a day-to-day basis about how the music industry is very much a a capitalist enterprise. And even though that's something that bothers me, I am, it, that's, that's a, that's my own internal struggle, but it's also something that all of us have to deal with this, this kind of, um, this disconnect, this, you could, you know, it's it's an oxymoron. It's uh, you could you could even say that it's hypocritical. But also, how else are we supposed to live? Yeah, exactly. The the whole like, how can you cre- critique society while you live in a society? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like, but we, but you know, this this capitalist realism has pretty much taken over most of the world as we know it. And there, there, while there are a few places that can maybe claim not to be fully capitalist, they, they kind of are. So, for instance, look at China, which is ostensibly communist, but, yeah. but at the same time, it's hyper-capitalist. 
So, and their brand of communism is one that is not something that I think Marx would recognize necessarily. So, uh, the, the way, so the, the way these, the way that those things have manifested are not ideal. I still think that there's really something to be learned from Marxism that could be applied, but for whatever reason, there's, there's so much, so much inertia behind capitalist realism and neoliberalism, actually. It's, yeah, it's yeah, true. Def- it's true. Uh, especially, you know, there is a, and at the moment, I do think that we are kind of in societal collapse, in all honesty. But yeah, we're still digging away at our corner of the music industry. And, and the reason <laughs> that is, is because this shit makes us happy, right? Exactly. So yeah, I'm very much invested yeah. in like that whole argument, even though I only know on a surface level of like Mark Fisher, CCRU, like all that weird mm-hmm. accelerationism yes, stuff and all yeah. that. It's, it's intriguing and it's kind of like forcing me to it's actually making me like like really inspired and creative right now yeah well i definitely recommend capitalist realism it was it was an incredibly important text uh for a lot of people and um it's it's still very very relevant today so uh, it's it's maybe more so than ever actually because i i think that now is a, is the, the one good thing about this moment, like I said, I do think we are in societal collapse, but I also think that more... <laughs> Yo, that, that's so... Stop saying societal <laughs> okay. collapse. Okay, like, okay, okay, okay. But, more, but, I mean, but the, good, the good part is more people than ever are aware of these things now. Yeah, yeah. So there's something. There's something. I don't know about, like, it's like a slow collapse, though. It's You know what I mean? It's more of like a, it is. a erosion. It is. Well, uh, as a, as a, I'll quote another philosopher, Stretchko Horvat, who is a Croatian philosopher uh, who's young and not nearly as well-known as uh, Fisher, but Stretchko recently gave a talk where he talked about um, the, the apocalypse is now, and basically the, that the apocalypse, it's not the, that the apocalypse is going to come like a thunderstorm or it's, or, you know, all of a sudden it's going to be upon us. It's, it's already happening. We are like, we're like a frog in a pot of boiling water that's slowly heating up and we're not, we're not going to notice it. Until it's too late. My critique of like capitalism's collapse. Um, I look, I look at it through the, the lens of, the rapper Blueface bust down like it's <laughs> happening, yo. Like it's bust down, like <laughs> yo, it's going down, like. <laughs> yeah. Blueface it's is like down. a paradigm shift in in general. Like I feel like in terms of culture and rap music, and definitely, yeah. Like, um, I mean, there's like the Mac Dre comparison and stuff, but like, yeah, that whole like Bay uh, Area off yeah. and Midwest he, connection. There's like that clip of him just saying, yo, I don't even care about rapping. I just learned about rapping like two weeks ago, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, wow. Okay. It's just, it is Wild West out here. It is Mad Max. It's very much like that with techno now, got too. A, got a sick whip right now. <laughs> Wait, what do you there's, mean? Why, yeah. why is it like that with techno now? There's, there's, I noticed there's a gap like of, um, of, newer kids who like refuse to learn about older stuff or they just like outward reject it in some sense i think it's cool because it kind of reminds me of like when people in jazz you would have like the bebop guys they would just be like 
oh, we hate like the guys that are free jazz, like the free jazz dudes. We'd be like, man, like forget all this like post bop, bebop. Like we're gonna just like reject this and like reclaim it and redo it now. I think it to me right now since techno is well over 30 years old, it's actually the most exciting time right now because you got like all these people just coming in, rejecting it. And you have like traditionalists. You, so you get, you're getting like, like creativity is like at an all time high right now. It's really exciting. Yeah. I mean, I also would agree that creativity is at an all time high. Although I, I would say that that's because the means of production have been distributed more evenly. Yeah. But, uh, um, you know, just because access to the access to things that facilitate making music is a lot cheaper and a lot uh, mm-hmm. easier to come by for even even for, you know, kids in third world countries. It's uh, it's not as difficult to obtain a cheap laptop laptop and craft software. I, I heard that. Yeah. You, I heard listen to one of your mixes and I heard you play a qualm track. I'm saying that incorrectly. I apologize, but uh, uh, but so I, I know you're aware of this. Yeah, <laughs> who did that? Who, who can actually? Make That's the, the GQ G, GQO. Yeah, uh, it's the, the South African yeah. click. Yeah, I can't uh, I can't pronounce it, but um, yeah, it's the the Gosa Gom. Like yeah, yeah. Um, I love that. But yeah, it's like kids in like South Africa just making tracks on their phone or whatever, and they just like uploaded on um WhatsApp. And to me, that's like cool. Yeah, that's just, that's that's amazing. And um, that's the most futuristic thing ever. Like, yo, this is crazy. Yeah, it's futuristic, but also like somehow dystopian too, because it's quite dark. So cyberpunk. Ah. That's true. That's very true. Uh, it's very cyberpunk being in. Uh, China last year I was in China for the first time and yeah. it was rain it was like yeah it is really America is kind of on the on the back burner right now definitely <laughs> and then too so much of that in China is actually kind of locked out because of like their um was it like the way the government like censors internet and stuff I oh, think about like, yeah. yeah I think about like how much dope stuff we probably won't see or won't get to interact with if that's existing in like this um like a microcosm or like it's almost like a digital galapagos islands almost whereas like it's developing completely isolated from the rest of like western influence so you yeah getting like interpretations of like american rap music or even dance music and stuff and just like just mutating into like this interesting beast and evolving into all kinds of things. It's really exciting, which is why I think we need to be more global minded about approach to music instead of just kind of like pandering so much to this Eurocentric idea of dance music. Cause there's so much going on in the world that exists outside of like the whole Berlin circle, you know? Mm-hmm. 